Wonder Things Studios proudly presents Archivos Insights, conversations with today's storytellers. You've tuned in to the Archivos Podcast Network. I'm Dave Robison. And I'm Marie Bilodeau. And you've tuned in to Archivos Insights. Archival Insights is a podcast with conversations with the stellar luminaries of the storytelling firmament. We're all striving to refine and improve our storytelling chops. And what better way to do that than to ask amazing crafters of stories about their own processes? I couldn't agree more. That's a wonderful mission statement. And that is exactly what we're here to do. Sponsored, as always, by Archivos, the story development and presentation tool for today's storytellers. Subscriptions are on sale now at the Archivos website. Check it all out at archivos.digital. A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. Ooh, promo time. <laughs> well done. Oh, thank you. Uh, Marie Billadeau, how you doing today? I'm doing awesome. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm grinning. I'm grinning like a fool and no one knows why. So <laughs> actually, everybody you know knows why. why. Or... <laughs> the reason, of course, is that we have an awesome guest host. It's time for another episode of Archivos Insights. And, and Marie, may I introduce you to our fabulous guest host for this episode? Oh, please. I've been looking forward to this. <laughs> well, look, let me let me actually lead off with a question, Marie. Are you familiar with the concept of the butterfly effect? The butterfly effect as in the chaos theory? Uh, it's chaos theory. It's it's basically the idea that a butterfly flapping its wings in one part of the world creates a, a cascade of tiny disturbances that can culminate in a hurricane in another part of the world. So I guess that's that's kind of chaos, but it's 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 basically for me it's it's I just I like the idea. It kind of affirms our interconnectivity, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I kind of think I love like, it. Yeah, I do too. I do too. I think I think we're all butterflies, really, kind of just flapping our wings and and creating <laughs> disturbances in the cultural ether. Uh, and if that's true, then on the butterfly effect scale of things, our guest host for this episode of Archivos Insights is like Mothra. She's this giant kaiju butterfly fluttering hurricanes of awesomeness into the world of geeks and nerds everywhere. Uh, I already love her a lot for that. (laughs) (laughs) Who doesn't love a giant kaiju butterfly, right? I mean, that just, it just kind of, it resonates. It resonates. So, so here's, here's how it all starts. It starts as it always does uh, with a love of story. Now, as a child growing up in the Washington, D.C. area, when her parents took her shopping, she didn't ask for toys or action figures. She asked for books. Now, I, I can just see her mom standing there in Toys R Us as our young guest host says, but mommy, I want a book. <laughs> I'd be wiping away a tear going, I'm so proud of you, baby. Let's go to Barnes and Noble. Come on. <laughs> and, and her mom, she had it going on because when our guest host was a mere seven years old, she took her and her sister to see The Empire Strikes Back at Washington, D.C.'s Uptown Theater. Now, friends, there are three acknowledged gateway drugs into the world of speculative fiction. Lord of the Rings, Dungeons and Dragons, and Star Wars. 
Bam. There we go. Our guest host got our first hit of nerdery, and she was off to the races. She was hooked. As the years unfolded, she'd thrill to the literary wonders created by Toni Morrison, Octavia Butler, and Frank Herbert. And she quickly evolved a sophisticated palette with a taste for well-wrought words as she delved into the poetry of John Donne and Alexander Pope. Now, in fact, her first literary explorations were in the arena of lyric verse and poetry at the age of 12. But it was fan fiction that was her threshold into prose. Now, she was a huge fan of the X-Files. It's like, what a shock. I'm stunned, right? Uh, <laughs> back in the 90s, she discovered an X-Files fan fiction site, and she read thousands of pages of fan-generated stories, eventually working up the courage to submit her own work. Eight pages of her own work, I might add. And here's where I need to pause for a second. Now, gang, if you're listening to this podcast, you're one of us, okay? You're part of the tribe. We all love Star Wars or Star Trek or Lord of the Rings. We all love stories. We all have our favorite authors, we aren't all the same. And what distinguishes us, I think, is why we love those things. That, I think, is a deeply personal and intimate choice. It's like the fingerprint whose whirls and loops are etched by what we choose to see in the world. Now, our guest host saw Lieutenant Uhura on Star Trek, and it was the most natural thing in the world for her to see a woman of color in a position of authority. Lando Calrissian running a mining operation in the Cloud City? Of course, why not? But when the things that make sense in your stories aren't mirrored in the world around you, that creates a kind of spiritual friction. And we all deal with that disconnect in different ways. Now, this is pure speculation on my part, but I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest that the next chapter of our guest host's life was informed at least in part by the discontinuity between the ideals of the story she loved and the world around her. She studied psychology at Pepperdine University and then went on to complete her master's degree in community organizing and program management at Boston College School of Social Work. In 2002, she completed a second master's degree in international relations and affairs from the Johns Hopkins School for Advanced International Studies. She went on to distinguish herself in the arena of program development, management, and fundraising, making a difference in communities here and overseas. Her achievements included founding the Harbor Development Group in 2005 and serving as the Director of Development for Hope and a Home, a D.C. nonprofit helping low-income urban families gain stability. She wasn't just writing her own story. She was rewriting the world's story, one family at a time. But even as she was working to change the world, her love affair with stories and storytelling continued. Around 2010, she was inspired to write her first short story titled Spirit to Flesh. And while that tale never saw publication, I think the crafting of that complete short story shook something loose in her subconscious. I think her adult writer brain, having experienced the creation of a complete story, suddenly went, aha, and started to work deep in the background of our guest host's awareness. And then, 
One fateful evening in 2011, while she was staring out the window while doing the dishes, our guest host's writer brain revealed itself to her, showing in the form of a man with cloudy eyes, a seer who could pierce the veil of time, one of many who were enslaved for their gifts. A year later, in September 2012, The Order of the Seers came into the world, the first of three books that would go on to make the Amazon bestsellers list, earn a five-star rating from BTS Book Reviews, and be selected as one of the best Kindle books of 2014 by Digital Book Today. This is no small achievement. But as Order of the Seers was on the rise, our guest host's six-year-old son asked if he could read it. Now, this might not come as a shock to you, but her son was very bright and very much into stories. I'm, I'm stunned once again. <laughs> but the Order of the Seer was targeted for a much older audience. When he was told he couldn't read it, he then asked the next logical question. Will you write me a book I can read? Now, what parent is going to say no to that, right? And thus was born the children's book series recounting the adventures of Ellis, his friend Toro, and his little sister Freddy through Ellis and the Magic Mirror and Ellis and the Hidden Cave. Now, the series, in which she credits her son as co-author, is celebrated for its diversity, its themes of integrity and friendship, and for the delight it inspires in its readers. So let's recount here. She self-published an Amazon best-selling series, created a delightful collection of children's books, and last year she released To Find You, a tale that blends romance, fantasy, and hope that spans hundreds of years. That's an impressive list. So what do you do next? Okay, well, how about you launch an online platform designed to deliver the best in indie sci-fi content and comic culture to the fans who love it the most? <laughs> That's precisely what she did, and that is precisely what Narazu is. If you go out and visit narazu.com, that's N-A-R-A-Z-U.com, you will find a fresh new portal into the world of indie comics and storytelling. Friends, if stories can change the world, and we all know they can, then storytellers are the agents of that change. Rebels and iconoclasts with the courage and vision to look at what may be and ask why the hell not. And in that rare cast of being, our guest host is surely Che Guevara, fomenting the seeds of geeky rebellion in the fabric of the universe. Her dog's name is Yoda. Her superhero name among her siblings is Wonder Worry because in her youth, she could go from minor setback to epic tragedy in 60 seconds flat. Her favorite food is sugar in all its many delightful and delicious forms. And the reason for that may be a kind of atonement for a batch of sugar cookies she baked 20 years ago for her family that didn't so much as resemble food as it did something you'd use to build a house or road with. 
Dear friends, please welcome to the big chair here at the Archivos Podcast Network, Cerise Renee Murphy. Cerise, it has been over a year since we sat down at that Italian restaurant at the Kansas City Worldcon, but that meal continues to be the bright high point of that experience for me. I'm so glad we finally got you on the show, ma'am. Thank you for making the time. Oh my gosh, Dave. I mean, between the laughter. Yes, Marie, come on, we can let it out now. (laughs) I am going to take that introduction, freeze frame it, laminate it, and I think it's going to go before me everywhere I go now. I think it's just going to hit, you know, play, and then it's going to come out. Thank you so much. I don't even know who that was that you're talking about, but I like her. (laughs) She's pretty fabulous. We should have her on a podcast. I know. Gosh. Thank you so much. Thank you are so welcome. For having me. This is just a pleasure. And I too, I remember that dinner and it was just wonderful. It was. It was. We we, we covered the length and breadth of, of speculative fiction terrain in that in that dinner. It was marvelous. I, I wanna ask you something, Cerise, before we dive into the actual, you know, craft and questions stuff. Um clearly there was much stalking going on to, to compile that intro. Uh, yeah. Awesome scary. A little awesome. Uh, victory awesome achieved. Scary. My work is done here. <laughs> awesome scary is exactly what I'm going for. There was a comment you made uh, in, for the Hello Reviews blog back in 2013 where you said, I wouldn't be who I am if I wasn't raised in D.C. And I'm curious, could you expand on that? What do you mean by that? Um, yeah, you know. For all those who haven't been to Washington, D.C., you've got to go. It's one of the best cities in the entire universe. I'm just going to go ahead and put it that way. <laughs> um, you know, I am a black woman, for those who don't know. Uh, and growing up in D.C. at the time that I did, it was in the 80s, and it was Chocolate City. Um, it was 70% African-American, at least. Wow. And I grew up feeling very normal in my skin. Um, it was never, in fact, growing up, I don't even, my parents are immigrants from uh, Grenada and Trinidad, so they grew up in a country where everybody was black or brown. And coming here and then pretty much everybody was black or brown, I don't even remember us talking about it because it was that normal. Hmm. And so what that meant was that I felt like I had this great foundation upon which to build whatever I wanted in my life. and be whoever I wanted to be. I knew I could be a crackhead or I could be a doctor. I could be, you know, (laughs) I could be, no, literally on my block, there were six halfway houses for people who had recently come out of incarceration on my block, not on my street, like on my block. Wow. And so I saw a lot of people who weren't making the most awesome choices in their lives. But I also had neighbors who were, business owners and leaders within their industry on my block. So it was just kind of up to me to choose who and what I wanted to be. And that is, I didn't realize how freeing that was until I I went to college and moved out of DC and met black people who had not had that sort of really nurturing environment. Sure. And so when it came to writing science fiction, you know, I've had people go, what made you think you could do that? What made you think you could write a science fiction book? And I thought, it had never occurred to me that I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember on the panel at Worldcon, I said, 
you know, by the time I figured out that I was supposed to be self-conscious about being black, it was just too late. <laughs> <laughs> That's and, awesome. I can totally see that. I can yeah, see growing I mean, up in your formative years, having yeah. that sense of place and home and security and comfort in who and what you are. Yeah. Going with you out as you moved out into the world and discovered that not everybody has that. Absolutely. And not just as a black person, but also as a woman, because there are so many women who are just taking over and doing awesome things. So on many, many deep levels, it just solidified my sense of self. And I, I so appreciate that. And I think DC is very unique in that and certainly was ahead of its time and continues to be ahead of its time in a lot of ways. Thank you, Cerise. I appreciate that. That that actually, I think, really helps inform who and what you are, both both as a as a as a person and as a as a crafter of tales in in the speculative world. That's that's very very cool. Thanks. All right, let's dive into this, Cerise. I am keen to start our twenty minute conversation with you, and I'm I'm going to set the clock uh, because that's what we do around here. <laughs> but I'm almost certain we'll be ignoring it. It's just, it's just we like to have goals. That's all. Uh, Cerise, I'm going to dive in here with, with a subject that is near and dear to my heart, and that is world building. Um, through the course of your uh, Order of the Seers trilogy, you cultivated eight different languages and eight different geographical settings, different cultures for the tapestry against which your story was told. That, you know, most people are <laughs> settled for one or two. Um, so first of all, that is a huge achievement. Second, I gotta ask, what was your process for evolving these cultures, making sure each of them was not only authentic, but also fit into your story in a way that didn't feel forced or contrived? Well, first of all, let me clarify. Like, I use eight different languages. I haven't, I didn't create them. Okay. I'm, I'm doing some of that now for a book I'm working on, but, or two books that I'm actually developing, but I didn't create them. So I want to be clear on that. But, okay. you know, the idea, I, you know, one of my pet peeves about international conspiracy stories is that they're never international. Somehow, <laughs> it's international. The only people that you see are like Americans. <laughs> it's so annoying, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, if you're going to have an international conspiracy, you have to get international pretty quickly, in my mind. Um, I think growing up with West Indian parents, I have an ear for accents. Mm. And I love different languages. I'm terrible at speaking them, but I love <laughs> different accents and languages. So those two things, sort of my love of different languages and accents, and also the idea that I had an international story just naturally necessitated that. And the language comes through the people that you meet. So it becomes very easy. You know, suddenly you're meeting someone there. Uh, my characters hide out in Chinatown in San Francisco. Well, if you're in Chinatown, San Francisco, Chinese is what you're going to hear. Sure. You know what I mean? And so that just sort of comes through all the different people that they meet and trying to establish a scale for the story that, like you said, doesn't feel forced. And so it really comes in through the characters. And as they travel, you just encounter those cultures. And so it, it comes naturally. And also the other thing that helped is that I've traveled to a lot of the different places that are in the series. So it was my way to revisit them. That's so. awesome. That's yeah. very cool. Yeah, that, I can only imagine that firsthand experience, especially whether you, whether you were 
had in your mind to write the story or not. You, you've had a storyteller's heart since a, since a young age. So everything that you see, everything that you experience becomes fodder for your stories, right? Absolutely. And I'm just, you know, it's funny, Dave. I mean, this is, you know, I'm, I'm writing my eighth book. I'm just starting to realize how much of that is true for me. I got a chance to go to the Santorini Islands mm-hmm. and snorkel in Greece. And there was this underwater cave. <laughs> and immediately I was there. And now it's in the story that I'm writing. But I didn't, I'm still discovering myself as a writer. And I, I don't know if it's admitting that or what. Because to me, you know, writers are, you know, that's Toni Morrison. You know, I'm just, I'm trying to mess <laughs> I can over here. But you know what I mean? Or, you know, that's, that's Frank Herbert. So I think. It's only in retrospect that I realize those things, but you're you're absolutely right. Well, and as you continue forward as a writer, as a storyteller, then you'll continue to discover and and evolve more understanding of your craft. I, I think that's the kind of the point. I think if you asked Frank Herbert uh, the same question, I think he'd come back. I'm 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 not you know. Uh, uh, Andre Norton, I'm Frank Herbert. You know, I, I don't think anybody uh, uh, thinks that they're uh, worthy necessarily to stand against the heroes uh, right. of their of their fiction. And yet, I would be willing to bet that each of those quote unquote heroes uh, went through the same experience through their mentors and their favorite authors as well. I'm sure. We'll be back with more of our conversation with Cerise Rennie Murphy after this brief promotional break. Introducing Archivos, a new story development tool that allows writers and gamers to document the story elements of their settings, map the relationship between those elements, and then display those connections through three unique interfaces. One of those displays is the story web. Every story element is presented as an avatar with any related elements orbiting around it. It's a single display that illuminates the complete network of connectivity of your story world. Plus, like all of Archivos' display modes, the story web is searchable and filterable, so you can explore the aspects of your story world that captures your imagination. Learn more about Archivos at www.archivos.digital. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. Archivos. Your stories illuminated. Now, let's get back to the conversation with Cerise Rennie Murphy. Cerise, I absolutely loved uh, looking online at everything that you do and at getting to know you because I have to admit I wasn't too familiar with your portfolio before uh, today. And I've been having a fun time looking at it. And one of the things that I absolutely love about you is the fact that you you play in the community as well. You are a part of, of that movement of creators who, who try to give something back to the community or mm-hmm. try to kind of rally the forces behind something. And in your case, Narazu really stood out as something that you were obviously trying to accomplish something. You fill a hole that you're seeing in the landscape of our beautiful community. Um, and for those of you who haven't checked it out, Dave mentioned it a bit, but it's it's really cool, a really cool online platform to basically help fans find the best indie sci-fi and comic culture available out there and in kind of a curated fashion, right? So you go on there and you plug in what you love to read and then you get recommendations directly. And then the creators can go on and put their materials on there so that they're connected with the fans. 
So it's kind of a two-way road. Um, and so my question, after all of discussing, um, my <laughs> question to you, Susan, I do have one is, you know, I always find, I, I love working with the sci-fi community as well. And I always find that the more I work with uh, with people in, in this industry, the more I learn about the industry and about its people as well. And I'm curious with something like Narazu, uh, which, which is not that old, but I'm sure that you can still give us some tidbits here. What have you discovered exactly about science fiction, about the indie culture, and um, since starting Narazu, what, what are some of the things that have taken you by surprise even? That's a great question, Marie. I think the biggest thing is something that I knew, but I keep learning it and it keeps humbling me. It's the generosity of this community. Mm. You know, we are just so open to new ideas and challenging ideas. Mm -hmm. And we crave that. And every time, you know, we put out a new issue of, we have a newsletter, a monthly newsletter. I put it out and I'm like, okay, we're putting some stuff out here that I don't know how it's going to be received. It's like, wow. And I'll hear back from someone. I read that and I, I don't even know if I fully got that. <laughs> but I know how that author challenged me. And that's just something that you don't get in every realm. You know, mm -hmm. someone who's excited about a book that they're still wrestling with three weeks later mm -hmm. enough to email you. So that just our generosity and the fact that, you know, if you say you like horror, but we might send you something in paranormal and there's not this big, oh, why is this? I don't want to hear what you can get. You know what I mean? In other mm -hmm. genres, it's very like, you know, I, I'm, I'm learning because of To Find You, it's sort of romance. So I, I went to a romance convention and they're like, I like cowboy romances <laughs> in the Civil War. And that's it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> that road is really narrow. And if you try to, I don't know, throw in even some American Revolution. Ah! You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Blasphemy. Not, that's not my thing. And that's beautiful that you know that. But I feel like this sci-fi audience is so much more open. And that is an incredibly generous thing. And I think that is the one thing that made me want to start Narazu, first of all, and it continues to make me want to uh, have it grow because there's so much incredible work being done by indie creators. And I know how hard it is to get your work out there. But I also know that there's this incredibly generous audience that is willing to give you a chance if they've never heard about you. In fact, maybe because they've never heard about you, they want to learn more. <laughs> and that is, that's really something unique. That's really not something unique and special about our community. So I think that's probably the biggest thing. Cerise, I'm curious, why indie? Why, why, why not cast a wider net and, and embrace some of the, the more mainstream stuff as well? There's two reasons. The first one you hit on in the intro. Um, if you listen to what other people say we are, as a society, as a community, you can get really discouraged. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But what I find is when I go to these sci-fi conventions, when I meet fellow indie artists, they defy all expectations. I've met white comic book creators doing a comic book about an Indian female superhero. <laughs> You know what I mean? Now, mind you, just, just, I'll just take that one example. On every level, 
it defies what we're supposed to be, right? Sure. As a white man, he's not supposed to be interested in Indian culture. Why would he write a, a comic about an Indian woman superhero? Women superheroes aren't cool. All of that. I remember meeting JD. I remember stopping by his booth and I was like, blah, 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 blah. you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> a, how much is this? I need it right now. And B, like, what? <laughs> like, why not? Why not? Yeah. And again, every interaction I have with independent artists, it's always that. They're always redefining the narrative. But what I realize is they, they're not redefining the narrative. They actually are the narrative. That is who we really are. The other stuff is BS. So if that's the case, and I believe it is, because the truth is we all cross paths with people who are not like us every single day, and we still manage to make it to work and home. If you watch the news, like literally, you can't even make it to the grocery store, right? <laughs> it seems like it, yeah. <laughs> it's about to kill you. So <laughs> the truth is we have to create an, a place where all the evidence to the contrary, the real narrative of how we actually live our lives is bigger becomes even more resonant. And that is what Narazu is. And that's why I focus on indie artists because they're the ones that are telling the real stories of who we are. And they need a bigger platform because their voice is big. It's just hard to get through the noise. And that's what I'm trying to grow with, with Narazu. And those are the people that inspire me the most. And I believe that they can inspire the world the more people know about them. Outstanding. Outstanding. Very cool. Yes. See, you are Che Guevara. You are totally <laughs> Che Guevara. And in the best possible way. With a lightsaber. <laughs> With a lightsaber. Yes. <laughs> we got little genre bombs and stuff all over the place. Yeah. Check this yeah. out. Woo. Well, all sci-fi fans want to save the world. And we all we all want to do that. <laughs> yes. Truth. Truth. And, and finding a way to do that, finding a way, a meaningful way to do that. Uh, yeah. is a challenge, uh, yeah. especially in this current climate that we find ourselves in that feels so contentious. You were talking about the the, the generosity of spirit of, of speculative fandom in general. And yeah. while I absolutely agree, I also know there's some of the most contentious people uh, uh, in the world when it comes to the things that they love. Yeah. Uh, and, and finding that common ground, finding that that scraping away the details and and finding the the common love and delight that we find in there uh, is a challenge sometimes so things like narazu are a wonderful tool to help remind us of that wonder of discovery and exploration that really i can think is the cornerstone of this genre of writing yeah i believe that i absolutely believe that more cool. now than ever yes absolutely especially now Absolutely. Well, let me let me ask you. Let me let me shift the the, the narrative, if I may, uh, just a bit. Um, I was I was reading one of your your interviews for the Black Pearls blog tours, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and you were talking about uh, finishing the sequel to Order of the Sears, The Red Order, mm -hmm. and you said, "I can't wait to finish writing it and see how everything unfolds." <laughs> and if I may play devil's advocate for just a moment. Wait, what are you talking about? You're the writer, Cerise. Surely you know how everything unfolds. It's your story. How do you respond to that, ma'am? Oh, wow. Well, the truth is it is and it isn't. <laughs> I feel, for everybody's process is different. For me, I am the conduit. 
my characters in the stories come to me. They choose me. My job is to be their mouthpiece and tell their story as well as I am able. And that okay. is my first mark of success. First thing I do is see the story in my head. And then I write it down. And when I read it, if I still see what was in my head, then I know I did a good job. <laughs> if I don't, then I, then I miss something. And I go back to the drawing board. So when I start with a story, yes, I know how it starts, how it ends. I know the, I know the plot. But the how, the, the plot is what happens. Okay. But all the, the how is all the middle. That's the best part. <laughs> and I don't always know how i know you know jan kills bob but i don't and and there's a knife involved but how the knife ends up getting in in the back of whoever bob or whatever <laughs> I, I don't like that i am complete audience for and that is my favorite part of the process that's is, i can't wait to see how it ends because i know but how it all unfolds oh my gosh that's always a surprise that's always you know, the characters don't tell me everything until I get in there. And then they're like, and now I do this. And I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, do you and ever I, find I, that as you're exploring the the how of the story that it takes you to a different ending that, that is actually better than what you conceived? Rarely. Really? That's okay. because I do a lot of, my process is that I when I, when I see the story, I write down a story outline. And then I write a chapter outline and the characters are still talking to me, but they're telling me their story in more detail through the chapter outline. I'm able to outline sort of not only what, what's the point of each chapter, what happens in each chapter, what's the tension so that you have to turn to the next chapter. And so because that's so detailed, it's rare that I get to the end and like the ending is not what I saw. I got you. Usually, if I have that problem, I can't see enough of the story to write the chapter outline. So and you're documenting have- as, you, as you develop these stories, you, you get the, the conception in your mind. But yeah. your very next step is to is to document and examine and explore the various beats and narratives that that idea encompasses. Right. OK. Cool. Well, and and I would imagine that even that process of of writing down from squishy thought forms into words on paper or or more likely keys typing into a digital format of some kind, uh, uh, I would imagine there's some revelations there as well. Always, always. <laughs> and then when I get stuck, I know I I have to talk to the characters. Like I'm I'm reading it or I'll, I'll be writing something. I'm like, why do you do that? And I think I'll know when I'm like, no, that's not it. I can just feel it. It's not, it's not true. And so then I'll go back. Okay. I need you to tell me. And then they'll start. Sometimes they'll tell me exactly, or they'll start telling me backstory. So then I understand more about who they are and then bam, it comes. Now I understand, okay. but I can't be trusted with everything all at once. It's usually <laughs> like, see how you do with that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then I'll give you some more. Gotcha. But, yeah. You're kind of an intriguing blend of, of architect and gardener. Uh, uh, you, <laughs> it's yeah. it's yeah. interesting. Well, just kind of continuing a little bit forward on what you were saying, you know, the, the pantsing in the story to a certain degree, I, I think is amazing. Uh, was there ever a time though where this might be totally telling tales out of school, but was <laughs> there a time where you totally got stuck in a story and, and you're still stuck and kind of struggling to find that? Or is usually talking to the characters, like you mentioned, enough to get you 
unstuck because I find that fascinating. I've gotten stuck before and those stories have died. You know, it's it's interesting. I wouldn't say that they've died because for me, each story is a blessing. And I believe the whole point of a blessing is to share it. So even if I'm not ready for a story, which sometimes that's what the stuck is. It's not like you're just not ready. You're not the person that you'll need to be to tell that story. You know what I mean? Okay. You don't yeah. well enough. So you kind of put it on the back burner, but the, that's not dead. That's just, it's waiting to evolve with you as you evolve. But for me, like with To Find You, I like to write the stories in chronological order, but To Find You would not, like my chapter outlines, it it, it wasn't as detailed as it normally is. The, the third part of the story was coming before the first part. And I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do it because what if I need to pick up something? You know, there's threads. It's about these two souls trying to find each other through time. So there's commonalities within the personalities all through the story. So I'm like, no, what if I then I write something in three and I need to put a thread back in part one? And I mean, they were just like, I am not interested in your process. <laughs> I am telling you that I'm ready to tell the story of me as a spy in World War II. That is what I'm ready to do, and you need to get on board with me. And at this point, <laughs> they're so bossy. Like, oh my, oh, they're so bossy. So usually when I feel stuck, I have to remember that ultimately I am serving the story. Okay. And so I, I back off and then and wait for instruction. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. Is that is that helpful? Yeah, that- totally. Thank you. Okay. I, I feel like I will wait for me to blossom to be ready for some of the stories that have not died or just waiting for me then. Well, Thank you. to get there. Okay. <laughs> I like it. I do too. I do too. Guys, I, I, hate to, I hate to interrupt, but the clock, uh, the eyes of the clock have, has, have clouded over and it's predicting my future. And yeah. it's it's dire. It's it's a very very dire future if I don't wrap this up right now. And I'm so sorry because this this is a delight. Uh, Cerise Rennie Murphy, thank you so much for for sharing so generously. This has been a great conversation, ma'am. Oh, I'm honored to have been a part of it. Thank you so much, David. <laughs> Betcha, Marie. Once again, there's 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 gold to be had in then our conversations. Uh, what what are you uh, what are you packing up and tucking into your writer's toolbox? You know, honestly, I have to say, I feel like I received a little bit of a therapy session, which is very <laughs> soothing for my soul. <laughs> indeed, indeed. I, right. I, f- I feel I feel atoned or, or cleansed somehow. Yes. My weary, battered writer soul has just suddenly, it's good. Everything is fresh and happy again. Um, but honestly, the last part of it where uh, she was just discussing a story and a writer have to be at the same level to be able to kind of have that dance of creativity together for me that that was perfect that hit it on the head it's exactly what i needed to hear so i am i'm not putting that in my toolbox i'm sticking it on my wall in front of my (laughs) there you go there you go (laughs) and i've heard i've heard many other authors say there's a story i want to write but i can't write it yet because i'm not good enough so i'm going to write these stories to give me the skill and perception and experience i need to tell this story that i really want to tell Mm-hmm. And I think those those two, I think that shows a lot of respect for your craft and, and responsibility as a storyteller when you can look honestly at what you're trying to do and and can can make that kind of assessment. 
uh, that's that's just yeah, I'm with you. That's that's awesome. That's badass. It's yeah, pretty it is. cool. Yeah, it is. For me, <laughs> it was it was right at the beginning the the notion of taking what you see in the world and using it and infusing it into your stories. And this this goes back to talking to Alice Helms in the last episode and the whole telidoplectic analysis of of consuming media uh, and then processing it and putting it out in your stories. But in this case, it's, it expands it even further. It's consuming life, uh, life experiences, seeing seeing that underwater cave or, or seeing that, that marketplace that you actually visited and Something about the writer's medulla oblongata is it's designed and wired to process that information differently uh, uh, and to and to com- deconstruct it into the component parts that can then be assembled to create a more authentic moment or scene or narrative in a story. And I think being aware of that, being aware of that instinct and making it a conscious process, and I, I honestly don't know how you would do that, but but I taking instinct and making it something that you can control or or call upon at will, I think makes you a stronger writer. So so that really kind of got me thinking along those lines. That's what I'm taking with me. So that's really deep, man. <laughs> I know, right? I, I'm, I'm like, feeling it. There, this dude, is good. <laughs> take a pull on the herb butter tea and let's do it. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as we did. There was literary gold to be had, some some writerly wisdom for your toolboxes as well. Uh, here's the awesome thing about the Archivos Podcast Network. As cool as that conversation was, you guys come back in seven days. We'll bring Cerise back. Marie and I will be here, of course. And then we add into that algorithm of awesomeness a courageous guest writer, a creative and courageous guest writer who will stride forth and and set the table for a brainstorming feast. And, And friends, I can promise you it is going to be a great frothing feast of creative mojo and inspiration. Do come back in seven days and check that out. But it is seven days. I know it's a long darn time. Marie, help us out, ma'am. What can our listeners do between now and a week from now? Good grief. Uh, to, to, to make that time just fly by. Oh, it's going to be a tough one. I mean, the next seven days are predicted to be quite busy for, for everyone here, mm. I think. But what I'm going to suggest is that you seek a new experience. You seek mm. something that you've never quite experienced before, whether it be a walk in the woods or a museum or, or an exhibit or some art that you've never before enjoyed. And you get out there and you try to think about your artistic instincts as you stare at them and you just start to let them be a part of you. Seek something new, a new adventure. Brilliant. I like that. And, and even if it's just walking down a street you've never walked down before. Exactly. It's an invitation for new input, new stimuli to, to tickle the ganglion of your creative brain. <laughs> yes, which is easy to forget that we need to do that regularly. So make a conscious choice this week to do it. Excellent advice. Excellent advice. And I will tell you, friends, as I always do, that you find what you're looking for, which I guess is sort of a corollary of your of your suggestion, Marie. <laughs> But if you go out looking for that, wow, look for the holy smokes. You look for the awesome in the world. And friends, if you do that with intent and and desire, I promise you, you will find it. We will be back in seven days with more Archivos Podcast Network fabulosity. Until then, you guys stay cool, stay frothy, and stay awesome. 
and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode of Archivos Insights is copyright 2017 by WonderThink Studios and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. To find out what that means and how you can use this content in your own presentations, visit www.creativecommons.org. Theme music for this episode of Archivos Insights was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown. Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation, or just learn more about the Archivos Podcast Network, visit our website at www.archivos.digital and click the podcast link. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash archivospodcast and on Twitter at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at podcast at archivos.digital. Thanks for listening.